What is up, everybody? Welcome to Locked on Vikings. I am your host. I am your pal. I am the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. It is great to be with you today. Hey, if you have a smart speaker, maybe you got one over the holidays, you're still getting used to it, you can say, play podcast, Locked on Vikings. You get right to the podcast. No messy clicking around in a podcast app or trying to find any links. Uh, You can just ask your smart speaker to play podcast, Locked on Vikings. This works for Locked on Draft and Locked on NFL 2. Uh, and it is a pretty cool feature that we are that readily available. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings, and you can follow me, the host, on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. So let's get started. Not really much movement on the uh, the Vikings coaching front. We have still gotten like assurance from the beat reporters that Rick Dennison will be the guy. You can pretty much take that as fact at that point. And when that becomes official, we'll we'll go a little bit deeper into who he is as a coach and what he offers to the Vikings separately uh, from just being a Kubiak lackey. Uh, But elsewhere in the offensive line coaching department, uh, Frank Pollack, we didn't cover this when it happened. I don't think we've talked about it, uh, is reportedly going to be hired by the Jets. That was the guy that was kind of famous for his amazing Dallas Cowboys work over the last few years. He spent a year in Cincinnati. They're kind of cleaning everybody out. So the Jets pounced uh, to build their new staff under Adam Gase. And Bill Callahan, who is a guy that I also kind of caped for, uh, is probably not coming to the Vikings anyways. There's really no uh, n- no reported interest and no, no real inkling of any reason that we should expect him to come to Minnesota. You know, Washington is blocking him from leaving anyways, and if he left, he would just go fill in the Cincinnati job that Frank Pollock left. So there's a lot of tangles, and it really seems like the, the Vikings have kind of found their match. But still, nothing is official. I imagine a lot of these uh, these things are, like, being reported and kind of agreed to in a handshake. Uh, and then once the Super Bowl is over and the season's officially over, and, you know, Brian Flores can go take over Miami, and we know what the situation's going to be there, then all of these, like, handshake deals will actually put pen to paper. But you never know, right? You don't want to sign an offensive line coaching job when, hey, maybe... Uh, Brian Flores will will hire you as an offensive coordinator. You have no idea what he's going to do or if he's going to clean house or how, how all of that's going to work. So it just kind of behooves everybody to like wait and hold off till the end of the Super Bowl. There's no real reason to be impatient about it anyways. So we will, again, continue to wait and probably talk about this a little bit more next week. In a housekeeping element, uh, the pain bracket is going strong. The first round ended with the Herschel Walker trade taking down 41 donut uh, with 55% of the vote. That's a pretty strong showing uh, for the Herschel Walker trade. And what's interesting is a lot of these first round matchups are a game versus like a bad kind of team level thing. Uh, this current iteration, the one that you can go vote on now, if you go to Luke Braun NFL, go to my Twitter page, go vote, uh, is Teddy Bridgewater's injury slash situation. I kind of put it that way because I think it encompasses everything, right? The injury and how sad that was and, and how emotional it was. And then also, you know, the kind of really strange, awkward, like two years afterwards where he was just kind of sitting on the bench and then like unceremoniously leaving and and then becoming, you know, a member of the Saints and through the Jets. Just that whole situation, does it hurt more to think about that or to think about 38-7 losing to Philadelphia in the 2017 NFC Championship game? Personally, I think the NFC Championship hurts me more. I loved Teddy. I mean, he's really one of my favorite players, still is one of my favorite players, uh, of, of all time just to root for. Uh, he's he's just one of those guys, I don't know, he's just captured my heart, and, and I really caped for him evaluatively too. I think he was a lot better than the 14-touchdown crowd gave him credit for. 
but I think ultimately in the grand scheme of his legacy in Minnesota, he only played here for two years. And even though I think those two years are better than people gave him credit for, it's not like he was, you know, oh nine Favre out there. So it, it, that hurts me a little less. I think he could have been great, and it's uh, a shame to look at, like, wasted potential like that. But if you want to talk about a wasted opportunity, I think uh, getting undressed by Philadelphia in the NFC Championship game and losing the opportunity to play a Super Bowl at home, that takes it for me. But don't let me convince you who to vote for. Go vote for whatever you think it should be. Uh, and I, I can't wait to see how that continues to progress. We're going to do one of these every show, and, and we're going to talk about the matchup and have all kinds of fun uh, just just reveling in all of the horrible things that this team has put us through and our fathers and their fathers before them. So other than that, things are pretty quiet in Vikings land. Uh, this is a, a pretty dead part of the season, you know, late January, early February, uh, before, you know, the extensions really pick up, when we're all just kind of sitting there and arguing about what the Vikings should do. So let's talk about those arguments a little bit. And over the next few months, we are going to talk a ton about free agency, and then we are going to talk a ton about the draft. And I want to talk a little bit about the draft. Uh, we we'll, we have all kinds of shows. I mean, we got four shows a week coming all the way till the day of the draft. We have plenty of time to talk about prospects and, and you know, positional value and all that stuff. But the one thing I want to caution you is uh, that the draft is more than one round long. I see it all the time. Right now, we're seeing a lot of the, the mock drafters out there, you know, uh, Kyle Krabs, the Locked On Draft people, you know, Ledyard and uh, Tampa Bay Trey, and, and like Ben Solak and Michael Kist, all of these like kind of draft Twitter people, Jordan Reed, former host of this show, are putting out mock drafts, right? They're putting out there, hey, you know, I watched the Senior Bowl, here are the guys that I liked, you know, here's the guys that have really, you know, caught my attention. Here's the guys I think are first rounders. We're going to do a mock about it. And they're covering the whole league and doing like a whole seven round mock is kind of silly right now. So really you only see the first round. And I think those people, when they're thinking about teams like the Vikings that have a very glaring needed offensive line and a few other needs elsewhere that are still very important, but the offensive line like really takes the cake, they are not necessarily going to take the best offensive lineman if they don't think that there are any first-round linemen left. And by the way, that's how th that's how teams think, too. That's how the Vikings ended up passing on Will Hernandez, because I don't think they had a first-round grade on him. Maybe it's because of scheme fit or because they just misevaluated him or whatever, uh, but I don't think that they saw any first-round linemen left when they took Mike Hughes. But they turned around, they took offensive line with their very next pick, and I think most of these mock drafters would do the same if they were in the Vikings' shoes and if their mock drafts went on for longer. So the moral of the whole story is that the draft is more than one round long. And, and I think it's really important when we're talking about, and especially when we're evaluating like Rick Spielman and his drafting, to understand that the draft is more than one round long. And that your first round pick is your most valuable pick because it should be the easiest one to hit on, right? You're picking from the best, the, the biggest stable of guys the first time you pick. So when you miss on that, it, it reflects more poorly on you than when, you know, you miss on a sixth rounder, the guy doesn't make the team, who cares? Uh, but it's also important to, to flip that around. When your fifth round wide receiver turns into a superstar, you should be given more credit because it was harder to achieve that, right? So looking at the draft as an entire entity and even undrafted free agency as a whole pool is going to be a much better way to evaluate guys like Spielman. Understand that the draft is more than one round long. And while your first round pick is going to be your marquee guy, the rest of them is really what decides how good your roster is. 
So with that, uh, that's going to do it for news, slow news day, uh, but we are going to talk a little bit more about what the community has been talking about, and that's what the Vikings should do in the offseason. Uh, I asked you guys to send me a whole bunch of your uh, fan-speak mock off-seasons, and, and especially free agency. Fanspeak is a website that is kind of can run a simulator so you can do your own, like if I were Rick Spielman, who would I sign, who would I cut, who would I restructure, and all that stuff. Uh, go check it out and try one and screenshot it and send it to me. It'll be an auto retweet from me uh, if you send it to at NFL or at LockedOnVikings. But on the other side of this ad break, we are going to talk about some of the ones you guys sent to me uh, on Monday. All right, we are back and let's talk a little bit about these mock off seasons. So I did one uh, on Monday afternoon and we're going to talk about it a little bit. And I'll, I'll link the screenshots in the show notes so that you can go look and, and kind of follow along with what I did. But... I really encourage you, can't stress it enough, go do your own and send it to me. I, I can't wait to see what you guys come up with. Tweet it at me. Uh, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the, the decisions that I made. And the first two, and I think they go hand in hand because they're both kind of no-brainers, uh, is two cuts, right? The Vikings are in a bit of a tight cap situation, and they have some fat on the roster that could be trimmed. The first thing, I think it's easy, it's Anderson Dejo. Um, and, and most people agree that he's going to be cut that he's, you know, just going to be a cap casualty because right now he is eating up like four and a half million dollars a year. That is a pretty good deal for a safety of his caliber, but we have an even better deal on the roster in Anthony Harris, who took the starting job from him this year. He went on IR and Anthony Harris played well enough to kind of cement himself as the starter moving forward, actually outplayed Andrew Sandejo, which is like an accomplishment because Andrew Sandejo has been playing very well and very solidly for the last three years. That said, you just can't pay for, you just can't have three starting safeties on your team, uh, especially when one is expensive. So it is a very easy decision to cut him, no dead money. And, and he probably goes and makes more money elsewhere in free agency, if we're being honest. Uh, Anthony Harris also probably, he is a restricted free agent, which is the one where you like put a tender on, on them. You say, okay, I put a second round tender on Anthony Harris, right? That means anybody can match the contract we offered him. But if you take him, if he takes your contract, you owe us a, sec a second round pick. That's how, how tenders work. Uh, the Vikings put a second round tender on Adam Thielen a couple years ago, and that's how they basically got away with murder on his contract for so long. I think Anthony Harris is in a, a similar situation. It's kind of how you deal with undrafted free agents that, that end up being starters that you want to hang on to for as cheap as possible. So cutting Sendejo and tendering uh, Anthony Harris, that'll save probably around $4 million. And the other one is cutting Mike Remmers, who is a, a reasonable tackle, but the Vikings don't need a tackle, right? Mike Remmers is not a better left tackle than Riley Reef. I think Riley Reef is a better left tackle than Mike Remmers. And Mike Remmers might be a better right tackle than Brian O'Neill, but Brian O'Neill is very much cemented in that spot. He needs to develop. He's the guy of the future, and they're going to start him there because of that. So that leaves Mike Remmers as either a, a wildly overpaid guard or out on the free agent market looking for tackle money anyway. So I think it's best for both parties, honestly, if the Vikings move on from Mike Remmers and move elsewhere at the guard position, whether that's a draft pick or a free agent or or somebody like Danny Isadora developing into a starter, which it would be hard to anticipate, but hey, anything can happen. And the other cut that I made, and this one's very controversial, was Kyle Rudolph. Now I talked about, if you go listen to my receiving uh, recap, I talked about how Kyle Rudolph for the last three years, he hasn't cracked the top 20 in a lot of like key production metrics, like yards per route run and like other kind of efficiency-based stuff. He hasn't really been the like, wildly efficient and productive guy uh, that 
we kind of make him out to be. And I think he's pretty highly overpaid. He's paid like a top 10 tight end, and he hasn't really produced like that, uh, at least efficiency-wise, in a long time. So I think if you're going to get a guy who's in the kind of bottom 15 of starting tight ends, you might as well pay for it, right? So part of this could also be restructuring Kyle Rudolph. I cut him so that I could go look at the, the free agents and, and see what kind of fun we could have. But the point here is to save money, and if there's a better guy in the free agent market that maybe improves upon Kyle Rudolph, that's gravy. You could also extend Trey Waynes at a salary that is way lower than the fifth-year option that he's uh, going to play at. And all of those moves, I think, are reasonable. The Kyle Rudolph one is the one, the only one that I, I think is maybe like a hot take on my end. But I think extend Waynes, cut Sandejo, cut Remmers, and you've saved a whole bunch of money, and that money can make it pretty easy to extend Anthony Barr and Sheldon Richardson, which is the next thing that I did, was extend those guys, give them you know big contracts with guarantees, and be like, you guys are Vikings now. Uh, and I think both of those guys are important enough to the defense to really warrant that. And if you don't pay them, you're going to pay that same money to somebody else. And there's no guarantee that that somebody else is going to be nearly as good. So I think uh, that all of this so far is pretty much a no brainer. And now we turn to free agency. Uh, there's a couple other guys that I, I saw, especially in your uh, mock off seasons that you sent me that were com commonly re-signed Tom Compton. I think he makes a night for a very nice backup guard. I, I think, uh, and, and you need that depth, right? Because you need, you the, the whole line is, is a big mess. You need to get starters and you need to get depth. I see Marcus Sherrill's a lot coming in for like $2 million a year, uh, kind of one year, one year, one year until he retires. I saw a lot of people kind of bringing Trevor Simeon back. That makes sense, right? He's a reasonable backup quarterback on a cheap contract, and that's really important when you're up against the cap. And that brings us to the candy store of free agency where we get to look around and see what we want. So the first thing I looked at, obviously, was offensive line. And what I was trying to do is replicate something that I think the Vikings do, and they do it very well, is that they like to navigate free agency in a way that allows them to attack the draft with as many options as possible. I think 2017 was a good example of this. They were extremely aggressive getting two tackles in uh, 2017, going out and like double dipping in that market so that when they came to the draft and when it came to their pick, they weren't priced into taking only a tackle. They could take a tackle if there was one there, or they could take Dalvin Cook, right? Because they, they could take the player that fell to them. They like being in that situation. They like being in the situation where, you know, the guy who, they weren't able to do this in 2016, where the guys that fell to them that, that could have been there, we can't take this guy, we have to take a receiver. And then on top of that, they screwed up the evaluation and took Treadwell over Thomas, and that stinks. Uh, but I think maybe they would have, like, rather taken Kenny Clark or, you know, Miles Jack or even Xavier Howard, you know, guys that, that maybe they had big grades on, but they couldn't because they felt so priced into going to wide receiver. They want to avoid Treadwell situations, and I think we do too as Vikings fans. Uh, so I kind of looked at, all right, what are the glaringest needs if I went into the draft? Okay, obviously we're, like, super priced into taking a guard, so how can we solve that? So I went out and I got Mark Glowinski. He's played for the Colts this year, and he had an unbelievable year. He didn't have a single year with... Uh, giving a, or a single game all year giving up more than three pressures. That's really nice. A three-pressure game is not great uh, for an offensive lineman, but it's acceptable and not getting any worse than that is really, really nice. And I also went out and got a center in Matt Parody. Paradise? Parody? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, but he played with Rick Dennison and Gary Kubiak a bunch. He's like this zone center, and then you'd kick Elfline out to guard. So that would be your interior, right? So you've basically looked and you said, okay, now, now my interior is solved, and I don't need to price myself into that for the draft. And then since I cut Kyle Rudolph, I had to go get a tight end. So I went and got Jesse James. 
And this sparked a whole bunch of, of responses. And a lot of people were like, why did you do that? So allow me to state my case. And if you disagree, that's totally fine at me. I would love to talk about it. I already talked with a bunch of you guys about it a whole bunch. Would love to continue to talk. So Jesse James was the last contract that I did when I was doing the simulation. And I had $7 million in cap. We had already set aside the money we need for draft picks. So I thought, eh, you know what? I can basically just throw anything at this guy. In my mock offseason, it ended up being a one-year, $5 million contract, but in the real world, I don't think he's going to make that. Right now, he's the backup to Vance McDonald, who has had a very nice season. I think he's a top 15 tight end in this league, uh, and I actually think Jesse James has the potential to be also a top 15 tight end in this league, which is something Kyle Rudolph hasn't really accomplished, in my opinion, in a long time. And I understand that that's a tough sell. A lot of people are huge Rudolph fans. A lot of people, you know, buy that jersey for their kids. He's a great, I mean, Walter Payton man of the year, and I think he deserves that. The Dear Kyle thing was awesome. We talked about that before. It's, he's a great fan player, but sometimes you have to make really tough decisions about guys like that. And I actually think Kyle Rudolph, because of the volume that he achieved this year, just because he was in this really high volume, you know, lots of passes offense, I actually think that that teams might overvalue him and pay him a lot more than the $7.5 that he's making in Minnesota right now. So this could be better for Kyle Rudolph as well. Um, and I think that Jesse James, who kind of played as a backup and he has a lot of hidden efficiency that I see, you know, in yards per route run, he, he ranked like 16th at 1.54. He only had two drops on the year. Kyle Rudolph only had one. Um, and according to both PFF's charting and PFF's grades, Jesse James was a better blocker than Kyle Rudolph. So I actually do think it would be at the very least a zero sum swap. Uh, maybe a little bit of, of an improvement and you would be saving two and a half million, probably more in the real world. And you'd be getting younger. Jesse James is only 25 and, and you could kind of hold on to him for one year, see how it goes. And then maybe sign him to, you know, that, that 26 year old extension and have him be the tight end of the future. But that also doesn't price you out of taking a guy like, uh, you know, Noah Fant or these other tight ends. There's a few tight ends that are kind of premier guys that might be there at 18, you know, signing him to that one year deal doesn't price you out of taking a guy like that in the draft if he falls to you and you're really that interested. So that is my uh, mock off season. I do want to talk a little bit about the stuff that you guys sent me, and I also want to follow up on some of the QB annual stuff we talked about with Kirk Cousins yesterday with Eric Eager. Go check that out. It was an awesome conversation. Uh, but first, we have to step away for a second and talk a little bit about gambling. So when you do a podcast, a lot of times people will then ask you, hey, who should I bet on? What should I bet on? And... The truth is, I am not a gambler, and I'm not going to give out gambling advice. However, I think it's really important that if you are going to gamble, and if you're going to put your money on the line where your takes are, you should do it with somebody reputable. And I think when it comes to gambling and who to bet with, the gold standard is my bookie. You know, we got the Super Bowl coming up. There's a lot of really fun prop bets that a lot of people are talking about. There was an awesome Ringer article uh, about that. I'll link it in the show notes. And if you think that you know the answer to those questions, lay down some cash, win big. If you're right, they pay you. Can't imagine a better deal than that, right? They have in-game live betting. They have the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for fantasy guys out there, if that's your jam, you can bet on fantasy points live too. So if you join now, MyBookie will match your deposit, your first deposit, dollar for dollar. It's a 100% match, free money to go gamble. You can use the promo code locked on, activate the offer, and they will match you 100%. So visit my bookie online, 
M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. Use the promo code Locked On. one word, when you create your account and you can claim your bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. It is that simple. So moving back to the Vikings specifically, let's talk a little bit about the mock off seasons that you guys sent me. So thank you guys uh, that were talking with me about this on Twitter on Monday. Uh, if you feel like you missed the boat and you still want to send me your thing, I'm so happy to see it. I'll retweet it. We'll talk about it online. So there were a few differences that I noticed in kind of the whole of everybody's mock off seasons that you sent me that I wanted to touch on. Now, the biggest difference, obviously, between mine and everybody else's is that, like, nobody else cut Rudolph for Jesse James. I actually think one person did, and thank you, friend, but otherwise, people were pretty much content to either restructure Rudolph and try to get him cheaper, or just hang out with what he had and try to save money elsewhere. So one move that I saw was uh, cutting Everson Griffin. Now, this is one I don't necessarily agree with, Yes, he is getting older and that age cliff is, you know, it's a cliff and not a gradual decline in most cases, but also uh, he comes with a $10 million cap hit that you can get out of pretty cleanly. So I definitely get why people wanted to cut him to save money. I don't personally agree with that. I think he's still a very good edge rusher even in his age, and I also think he just provides something to the locker room that you can't really measure in terms of just like lifting all the other players up by, you know, by way of leadership. I think you know, we kind of saw when Everson Griffin left to deal with his mental health issue, we kind of saw everybody else experience a little bit of a dip in those few weeks. And we even saw like the worst uh, defensive game I think Mike Zimmer has had here with the, the lack of Everson Griffin, not only, you know, the lack of his edge rushing ability, but also the lack of his leadership. I think it makes a difference especially in the absence of Brian Robeson, I think you need somebody to kind of be the soul and be the personality of the team that can be so infectious and get everybody else on the same page. I think that's important, even though you can't measure it. So I think for that and the reason that I think he's still just a good edge rusher that had an off year because he was dealing with a mental health issue, assuming he can come back and and be the guy that we, you know, kind of grew to love him as, I think he's still a superstar player and he's worth the cap hit. And if you got rid of him, I don't think that like a Steven Weatherly is going to be able to like take over that mantle and still like be the guy that Everson Griffin was like you will experience a pretty sizable dip in defensive performance by doing that. So I personally wouldn't, uh, but I definitely get why he was an attractive cut to save money. I think that the, the most common through line that I saw with everybody's off seasons is that they really hit free agency hard. Uh, on offensive line. And then for those of you who also sent me a mock draft, which I'm not going to talk about yet because we have so much time and so much more material is going to come out on the draft picks. Uh, a lot of people like would get, you know, Roger Saffold and Mark Lewinsky and another center and then go draft two linemen. And it's like, you're acquiring five linemen. I highly doubt the Vikings are going to do that. I think they could. And I definitely see why people want to because like the offensive line has been bad for three years and I think a lot of fans are just so fed up with it. They're ready to overcompensate. But I think, you know, we talked about it in the offensive line thing. I think if you acquire two starters and one backup, you can still attend to the rest of the needs that the team has, possibly improving at tight end, possibly replacing Richardson and Barr if you don't uh, re-sign them. I think some people really made room and then re-signed them and then maybe got a guard. And some people let everyone go and said, hey, let's throw this money at people and, and let's throw all this money at, a, at an offensive line and we'll have, you know, 
a top 15 defense and a top 15 offense and hope that takes us to a Super Bowl. I personally prefer the first strategy, but it was interesting that you could kind of put all the mock off seasons in one of those two buckets. So again, thank you guys so much for participating with that uh, with me. I had a whole bunch of fun looking at all your stuff. Keep sending them to me. We are going to continue to do fan speak stuff uh, as the off season continues. This one was kind of my best shot at, all right, what is the like responsible way to fix the needs the Vikings have and resign the guys and do all that? I am going to do like uh, an extend nobody run. I'm going to do a just extend people and how much, you know, of this talent can we retain if we try really hard to. I, I want to do some fun, silly ones. Like, what if you cut Kurt Cousins? What would you have to do? Or how can you cut Kurt Cousins while doing the least damage to the team? I'm going to try to do all that stuff uh, over, you know, the, the next like dead part of the offseason and try to fill some time. Uh, and, and I hope that you guys can, can join me and have a little bit of fun with it. But speaking of Kirk Cousins, I do want to touch on a few things before I go with the QB annual. So we didn't get to touch on this uh, when I was talking to Eric about it, but there is a really cool feature in the QB, QB annual where they took every quarterback's throws and broke them down based on like kind of what the play was, and they broke it into five buckets. Uh, half field left, half field right, middle of the field, and that is where the quarterback was initially looking. So it's very objective, right? Where is his head pointed? Where is he looking uh, in the first place? And they also charted whether or not there was one or more receivers to that side so what you can do is kind of see like with some quarterbacks is there a difference between you know left side of the field plays and right side of the field plays and middle of the field plays and also you know do we see a lot of improv improvisation like do you see when the initial look is to the left, do they end up throwing right very often? Now, and that's, it's really hard. There's a lot of noise in that particular angle at it, right? Because sometimes it's a matter of, well, they never have to because the guy's always there. Or, you know, maybe they're just not improvisational quarterbacks. So we see that with Kirk Cousins, right? When it starts on the left, by and large, it stays on the left. When it starts on the right, by and large, it stays on the right. And he was slightly more efficient to the left. And kind of a lot more accurate to the left than to the right, which I think is kind of interesting. Maybe it's a footwork thing or a comfort thing. I wouldn't be surprised to see every quarterback have kind of a tendency like this. Uh, but with Kirk Cousins, I also have kind of a crackpot theory that when you turn to your left, your blind side kind of turns into the right side. The right tackle kind of turns into the blind side tackle. And Brian O'Neill just like gave up pressure less often than Riley Reef did versus when you look to the right and the left tackle is like truly your blind side and it's your blind side when you're in the middle too right so I, I think that I, I that could be complete nonsense right and this is total speculation and guessing but I wouldn't be shocked to see that like hey you know when we ask Brian O'Neill to be a bigger part of the play good things happen and he just throws it like more accurately in terms of accuracy percentage which is literally just like completions plus drops he goes up by like 4% in terms of uncatchable percentage where, you know, how many of these balls are not purposeful throwaways where they're thrown into the third row, but, you know, you tried to throw it and like at a, a receiver and it turned out to be completely uncatchable to the point where like they wouldn't have called pass interference, for example. Uh, and, and his percentage of uncatchable passes goes up like 4% when he throws to the right versus to the left. This is a really interesting way of looking at things. We don't have this data for any other year, so we don't know if this was an outlier, if it's even really stable, but I'm super excited to, to watch that as, you know, next season and the season after that progresses.
So last thing real quick I want to talk about is uh, actually with the receivers, they break down like on, you know, on third downs or in the red zone, like who do you go toward? And I wanted to revisit when we talked about the receiving thing, we talked about Thielen versus Diggs, and this has like way better third down information, which is kind of like a situation that we looked at, where Thielen out-attempted Diggs, out-targeted Diggs 42 to 33, he had more completions, more yards per attempt, more EPA, he converted more of them, Thielen just outdid digs on third downs and i and i think that the connection between kirk cousins and stefan Diggs was a lot less there than the con- connection between cousins and and thielen and i think that was true all year and i hope that that is something that's going to regress where where stefan Diggs will regress back upward in uh 2019 even though he just had a thousand yard season for the first time that was more of a staying healthy thing i actually think this was a worse season for him than 2017 or even 2016 was and i think that the 2019 season will be better. So with that uh, little note of optimism, I am going to sign off for the day. I will talk to you all tomorrow, and uh, hopefully we'll have some news to break down. If not, we'll figure something out. In the meantime, skull.